What's up, Oasis family? Good to see you online again. My voice is back for the most part. Everybody keep praying. Lost my voice for the, like for about 10 days. It was not great. Yelling at my son's basketball game, which was of the Lord. Um, yelling at beach volleyball, also of the Lord. And then preaching the gospel, which of course is um, of the Lord. So if you have been in any of those spaces where you've seen me yelling, just know that you are part of God's work. Because this is what I am called to do, is to encourage people to be the best volleyball players they can be, the best basketball players they can be, and the best believers that they can be. These are my three callings in life. So we are still in a series called Family Values, and we made it out of We Worship Together. Good for you for uh, hopefully watching all like eight or nine of those weeks, if not more. And um, last week we started... Uh, our family value, we grow together, and Kayla Turner crushed it. My favorite part about her message was I felt like she had one of the best explanations of growth that I'd ever heard, which is growth is movement and exposure. And a lot of times we feel like we're growing because we're gaining information, but we're not moving forward. And that kind of like teases the mind that as long as I am processing and figuring things out, I'm growing. But, but growth is movement and exposure and exposing anything that would get in the way of moving forward with what God has for us. And so I just love that definition. So I'm going to tackle here online this beautiful passage of scripture that I believe will help really encourage us about what growth feels like. Because I feel like a lot of people think they're not growing when they are. Um, because a lot of bad things are happening and a lot of things are like not good. And so sometimes people can even see us and think we're not growing because they can see all these bad things. But really, they don't know what God is doing um, uh, together. And so I believe this passage of Scripture is going to really encourage you on this week of We Grow Together. Um, if you have any questions, I've been giving out this number. and got a couple weird ones recently, but I'm not going to give up. Um, I love when people text this number to tell me how much they, they, they hate the church. I got one of those things. It was like, great. And I, I, I answered every one. Most of them are very encouraging, great questions about the Lord. So if you have any questions about today's sermon or um, anything, really, 818-213-1337, 818-213-1337, quick public service announcement, please don't call the number, I will never pick up. <laughs> it's a text message line. I got a call once at 6 a.m., and it's just an alert, but it was an alert, but... <laughs> Text, don't call, 818-213-1337. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 13. I'm really excited to preach. It's been a few weeks. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and Jesus is telling yet another parable. Jesus would tell a culturally relevant story that would help them understand a spiritual fact or principle. And when you're reading the Bible, there is... This term called exegesis, where you involve historical context in order to get the right interpretation. Exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E -E I'm going to spell the way I want to spell it. E-X-E-J-E-S-U-S. -E -E exegesus is how, you hope you remember it, is how you get Jesus out of the text. So if you don't know what God was trying to tell them, you will misinterpret often what God is trying to tell you. And so a lot of people want to know, how do I know what God is trying to tell me? I'll phrase it this way. If you don't know what God has said, it will make it hard to interpret what he is saying. So you want to read Matthew 13, 24, trying to find out what he said first, not what he is saying first. If you understand what he said to these people and you understand historical context, and what he was trying to tell them, it'll help you get a better understanding of what God's trying to tell you. Um, eisegesis is when we skip all of that and we read, uh, let's say, the passage of Scripture of G uh, Peter stepping out of the boat, and we go, man, I was reading this passage today, and the Lord said, time to get out of the boat and quit my job. Hold on. That's eisegesis, which can give you a really bad interpretation. Exegesis, E-X-E-J-U-S-U-S, is doing the opposite where you're trying to figure out what God is trying to tell them. And so God was trying to communicate something to uh, his disciples about the kingdom. 
And so he tells this story in Matthew 13, verse 24, and he says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow, somebody say grow, grow. we grow together, and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? They asked. This, to me, symbolizes religion. And I feel like there's a spirit of religion in the church. There's a spirit of religion in our church, the, the global church, where basically all we try to do is solve the problems that we have with us, the problems that we see in people, the problems we see at the job. We just spend all of our time yanking out weeds. And a gardener, these servants said, we got to get rid of these weeds. And Jesus said something interesting. No. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. We grow together. I, I, I feel like when we say this thing, we grow together, it's almost as if, if we're not careful, we interpret it like growing together means that we are becoming more like Jesus, and that's it. Like everything bad about us must go and everything good about us must remain. And Jesus tells this parable that's interesting. Hey guys, that's not the way the kingdom works. Actually, the way the kingdom works is that when God is moving, so is the enemy. And both are growing together. So I felt this prophetic word as if to tell you that when we say our family values is we grow together, that means that we are growing together, but there's a lot of things growing in our church right now. Some of them are what God has planted, and some of them are what the enemy has planted. And if we're not careful, we're tempted to where we would accuse you of not growing. We would accuse you of not growing because we see the enemy, what he's planted, growing in your life. You're not growing because this seems to be getting bigger in your life. You seem to be even more fearful. You seem to be, but Jesus said, no, this is the way it works. That when the farmer sows wheat, the enemy comes and sows weeds. Mm -hmm. Now, none of us are in agriculture right now. And so Jesus is telling a parable that them, when they heard it, they're going to be like, yup, amen, amen. But we're like, what are you talking about? If you read on in this passage of scripture, Jesus explains this parable and says, number one, Jesus is the farmer. The devil is the enemy. God's people are the field. And the servants are angels. So even angels on the last days, it's, it's a scripture on the last days. So even angels, when they see something bad, it would, it would, it would say, should we yank it out? No, no, no. The Bible says angels ask God questions about the gospel. Why are you not yanking this out? What do you mean you're going to give them the Holy Spirit? Don't they got to clean this up first? It's like, it's the craziest thing in the world. So first and foremost, that we are God's field, that God plants things in us for us to grow. Now, what we don't know about this passage of scripture is that this was a way of sabotaging uh, people that you didn't like. So a farmer would plant seed in his field and maybe through jealousy, because I would argue that the devil is jealous of you and I, maybe through jealousy, maybe through envy, maybe through hate, maybe through anger, a farmer who had a lesser harvest would get mad and go plant weeds among the wheat um, so that it would mess up the crops. Now, here's what's crazy. The specific type of weed that they would plant looked exactly like the wheat until they were both full grown. And only when they were full grown could you be able to tell the difference. So certain things, you wouldn't be able to tell in the beginning what was God and what was the enemy. So here's what's crazy. The reason why, and if you don't understand agriculture, you got to understand this. The reason why they didn't uh, uh, want to uproot the weed is because how weeds flourish is that they intertwine the, the roots of the weed are intertwined with the roots of the wheat. And if you yank out the bad thing, you also yank out the good thing. Mm. You know, uh, transparently, you know, in the beginning, 
all of my, you know, physical, you know, interactions with women were all unhealthy. And so in the beginning, I went, when I first came to Jesus, it was like, okay, I have to stop doing all of these bad things. And I didn't even know how to connect in a good way when I was married, because all I had focused on was uprooting the weed in my life. That was temptation. That was this. So it's like, okay, no, no, no looking, no looking at women, no doing this, no doing that. And I didn't even know how to be married and have a healthy, intimate relationship because I had uprooted the weed and I uprooted the wheat as well. It's almost as if like God is saying, there's these desires that you learn to control, that you learn to, 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 to get better at. And how are you able to do that? Because what is good has grown bigger than what is bad. I, I've challenged people to do this when it comes to the wheat in their life, and, and many people would consider this so sacrilegious. But one of the ways when I um, used to like have a habit, let's say I would say, God, I'm not going to like look at like any you know, pornography, I'm not going to smoke any weed, I'm not going to drink at all, and then go on a bender on the weekend, I would just read the word and pray more than what I had done. And I was watering the good thing hoping that as it grows, the roots get looser so you can pick it and it was easier to separate. So, so many times we try to eliminate the bad things in our life and we don't water the good things. Mm. So let's say you're, you're in a relationship and you see a weed in your husband or you see a weed in your, in your wife, you see a weed in your boyfriend, you see your weed in a gr- your girlfriend. What we try to do is like, you got to work on that. We need you to work on that. No, what is the good thing you see in them and how do you water that thing? And how do you water that thing so much that when that thing gets full grown, they can tell the difference between the good thing and the bad thing. The hardest things to get rid of are the bad things that we think are good. I'm telling you, he's literally saying, and his servants are like, we got to get rid of this. And he's like, nope, let them both grow together. Isn't it interesting our values are, we grow together. And he's saying, yeah, these things grow together. And some of you think because that thing is growing in your life that God's not doing any, what is going on? All of a sudden, man, I've been praying, I put my faith in Jesus, or I'm reading my Bible like never before, and all of a sudden, I have more anxiety when I started reading a Bible reading plan than I did before. Like, what is going on? Like, I remember this time where I felt all this peace, and now there's two things growing together, and if we're not careful, we make it our life's mission to uproot the bad thing instead of water the good thing. There's a mentality comes about this where even I would say, for example, like um, when we, we uh, are motivated by negativity in order to do something positive, there's a difference between working out because you want to be healthy than working out because you feel fat. One of them puts you in bondage, even though the act itself, but when you're trying to work out to uproot a weed, there's a difference between putting a filter on because you think the filter's cool and you just want to have fun. And there's a difference between putting a filter on because you actually hate the way you look when you wake up in the morning. Like, that's a bad reason to put a filter because you're trying to uproot this thing and present this wheat to people. And, and Jesus is saying that is not the way it works. Now, here's what's crazy. We think it's our job. Many pastors think it's their job to separate the wheat and the weeds. Do you know that this passage of scripture explained that the angels would do it on judgment day, that Christ would do it on judgment day? It says, no, excuse me. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. He says that when they both grow together, I will separate them. You getting rid of all the bad things in your life is God's responsibility. Can we just receive that today? Like, it's literally God's responsibility. There is nothing, I want you to understand this, the field is not mentioned, it doesn't have a responsibility. The field just has to be good ground for the seed. And then God says, I'm going to let both of them uproot together or, or grow together, and then I'll separate them when they've both grown. So are you growing? When we say our family vision is that we grow together, I would challenge you that if you don't have a weed growing, you don't have wheat growing. What, if, if, if the enemy is not threatened at all by what God is doing, and if you're in a season where you like, man, I don't know, man, it's just good, man. No fear, no anxiety, no shame, no guilt, no nothing at all. God's probably not doing anything. 
But if you're in a season where you've been feeling that recently, it's because weed is growing and the enemy has planted a weed among the wheat. And if you don't feel any of that, you probably should do more. <laughs> you probably should do more. You should be feeling that. You should be feeling that. Now, now, I want you to understand this. The very first thing that God did in the field is sow something in it. I don't think we understand that God loves to give humanity things in seed form. So be the fact that I've watched a lot of Discovery Channel, I would consider myself a agricultural expert um, because I watch a lot of stuff on TV. So when you plant a seed in the ground, there is a germination period. And in that germination period, whatever that is, it's based off the nutrients in the soil, right? And it is based off, off of like water and a bunch of different circumstances. But before you can see the, the, the sprout that comes out of the ground, it's already sprouting, but it's sprouting underground. There's this beautiful scripture that we love to quote and we love to say, God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. Anybody heard that verse? They make songs out of it. God is doing a new thing. And we go, God's doing a new thing, which I wonder what the new thing God is doing. But the reality is that verse continues to say, can you see it? So the new thing that God is doing is difficult to see. And do you know what it continues to say? It doesn't say God is doing a new thing. Wait for it. It says God is doing a new thing. Can you see it? It is springing up from the ground. So the new thing God is doing is where you are, not where you want to be. And if you can't see the new thing God is doing where you are, you're not ready for the new thing God is doing for where you want to go. God is doing something new where you are. Can you see it? It's springing up out of the soil that you are standing on. Here's what's crazy. When God puts a seed, the Bible says this, when God puts a seed, his word is like the seed, and when he speaks his word, it will not come back void. So if you look at other verses on the kingdom, you look at other verses on the kingdom, and this is so important when we understand about how we should approach Jesus when it comes to growth. Because you don't want to just read this verse in like isolation without saying another kingdom verse. So on your own, if you want to understand if it says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer plant a seed in a field, look up every verse on field. When, what does God say? How does God use a field as an, as an analogy? Another verse is he says the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And obviously Jesus is that man. And he found a treasure in a field. He reburied the treasure and went and sold everything he has and bought the field. So he valued, he valued the field that he found the treasure in, not just the treasure itself. So he wanted to own the field. So if you put those two verses together, the Bible says that Jesus bought and paid for you with his own blood. He purchased you with grace, mercy, and kindness. So then now you belong to God. So nobody wants a prosperous orchard in his field more than God. And I think if we're not careful, we think I, gotta, I want it more than God does. I, I want to be blessed more than God wants me to be blessed. If God sold everything he had to purchase humanity, who is the field, then doesn't God wants that field to be amazing. So when God sees a weed in his field, it's his responsibility because he sees the weed. And we have workers, pastors, religious people, uh, people who claim to believe in Jesus going throughout God's property and yanking weeds. And they're yanking bad things. And we've talked about this a lot. But I believe Roe versus Wade was a yanking of a weed that they deemed to be a weed. Yank it. Get rid of it. And they uprooted good things. And we don't care because this is the, it was a weed. It's a, and whatever your perspective is, but that's what I'm saying. No, let, let's let both grow together. Let's let both grow together. Like you might have an issue with abortions increasing, but right now there's, there's a kid being born right now that's going to revolutionize the world in the next 30 years. And, and let, let's both grow together. God doesn't seem to have an issue with bad things growing and good things growing at the same time. And so, no, 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 no. Let's uproot the weed. Christian nationalism. Let's make this a Christian nation. And God never made Egypt a Christian nation. He got them out of it. Couldn't he have just said, we'll just make Egypt Christianity? No, because that would be uprooting wheat. He says, let them both grow 
together. This is profoundly important that you understand if something bad is growing in your life, it's because something good is growing in your life. And we focus on the bad thing that's growing in ourselves and people. I don't know what it is, man. I'll just be doing this. I just can't get it. Aren't you like you're doing great. I talked to this uh, somebody in our church uh, that's 25 years old. And and uh, we were talking about money. And they were like, ah, this is money problems. Is a 25-year-old not supposed to have money problems? Like, you seem to be doing pretty good to me. Like, I don't know any 25-year-old that has money. Like, you're doing great. And it was like, I am doing great. But they were locked in on the one weed in their life, and they could not focus on all the good things that God was doing. Let me tell you something. You are not a problem that God would like to fix. Wow. You're not. If you just could accept that, no matter how many weeds you have. Now, think about the size of the field. How many weeds would be in a field? This isn't a garden. It's a field. And imagine how many weeds could be in a field. And the Bible says that that, that it was like weeds among the weeds. So anyone who was looking at it couldn't even tell which one was a weed and which one was a weed until they both were full grown. How do we allow the good things of God to be full grown in our life so that when the good things of God are full grown, we can separate it from the weeds in our life? I have found every single time when I have allowed something good to flourish in my life, something gets separated. When I say forgiveness is flourishing, then then bitterness gets separated from me. When I, I allow forgiveness to become full grown, bitterness and offense gets separated from me. What are we watering? Are we watering forgiveness? Don't, if you're bitter and you're unforgiving, don't try to not be bitter. Water the good thing. And then eventually, bitterness gets separated from forgiveness. Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of like a habit that, that, that we see. Many parents right now would fall into this trap of being in a season where they're trying to get their kid to not bite somebody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I forget who I was talking to. Yeah, there's biting people, man. I'm like, okay, well, what, what are they doing that's good? Because we can get so locked into that. When my son or, or Bailey was doing something, I can get so locked in trying to stop that thing. I'm like, well, what is the good thing that I can water that can overtake the, 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 the bad thing? That by, by I've watered the good thing so much, it begins to overwhelm and overtake the bad thing. And I'm not saying we don't address bad things and people that we love, but most people that I come in contact with only address bad things. Right. Like, hey, man, I want to let you know, man, you're really good at this. Let me, let me speak into that. It's like, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? This, 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 I don't know. And, and, and it's not negative. It's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. And I think if we're not careful... None of us know how to water a good thing. None of us know how to speak life over a good thing. None of us know how to invest in a good thing. Like, it's almost like saving money as opposed to watering a business plan that would make you more money. Let me just hold on to what I have instead of like, because I'm afraid it's not going to be enough, so we're spending too much money. Like, what if God said, what if the plan is not to save 5000 What if the plan is to make 5000 but making 5000 would, would create some, a positive mentality. What if the plan is not to save hundred grand to buy a house? What if the plan is to make hundred grand to buy a house? But we don't actually water those ideas and those business plans. We actually live in fear. And so let me just save five bucks at a time, and hopefully in 30 years I have hundred grand. No, 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 no. I just told somebody the other day, you don't, if you want to make $150,000 a year and you're in your 20, do you know that you can make just $5,000 each year and every year, and then by the time you're my age, you'd make 150 k but no, it's like, I can't think like that. I got I to gotta save. I got to scrimp. I gotta, I'm doing this. No, no, no. Stop trying to uproot weeds in your life. It is not your responsibility. Those weeds were planted because the enemy knew something good was happening. So when the weeds are welling up in your life, where is the wheat? Because every weed is attached to wheat. An overbearing person is attached to usually care. Fear is usually attached to faith. It's attached. It's not, it comes with it. You know, um, um, 
unforgiveness is usually attached to loyalty because usually somebody did something to you that you would never do to them. It's not about they just made you mad. Unforgiveness is a weed that's attached to the wheat of loyalty and you're so hurt because you know deep down you would never do that. And they did it. People are hurt by cheating uh, spouses only because they feel like they would never cheat. But at the end of the day, if you know you just laid down with somebody last week, you'd be like, ah, Grace, I get it. No, but we get mad at the things we don't know. So we want to uproot everything and we don't water good things. Most relationships are failing because we don't water the good things in our relationship. We keep trying to call out the bad things. Most churches are failing because we keep trying to call out the weeds. I'm not going to call out the weeds on Instagram. I'm going to call out the wheat in your life. And by the way, if you have weeds, get someone in your life who's watering the wheat, not trying to yank your weeds. Because Jesus said, don't do that. I, I'm going to say this out, out loud. I feel like I have personally made a mistake with this word accountability. Because we think accountability is I'm holding you accountable for not doing something wrong. I'm holding you accountable for your wheat, who God has shown me who you are. If I have no revelation from God about who you are, I cannot hold you accountable. I can only hold you accountable to what I want you to do, not who I believe you are. This, I need people to hold me accountable to who God has shown them I am. Not to what bothers them about me, but to who God has shown me, I shown them that I am. This is watering wheat without uprooting weeds. And a lot of people don't understand that Jesus works this way. So, so what does this mean to you and I? This is really imp- important. If we are to grow together, the first thing we have to understand is the very first thing Jesus did was, pl- was sow a seed. Sow means to plant a seed in the ground. Grow, write this down. Growing begins with sowing. Mm. Galatians 6, 7, 9. For all you weed pullers out there, grab your weed whackers, you religious people. We need, so most of these churches need to be called weed whacker church. Because <laughs> that's all they do is whack weeds. Like the nation is this and the Christians need to do this. And we need Christian politicians. We need this. The weed whacker church, I call them. It, growing begins with sowing, not weed whacking. So the reason why... Oh, man, listen, don't, don't get me pumped up. I'm, I'm going to go, listen, don't get me hype. I've been gone a few weeks. This is a weed whacker verse. From here on out, I'm going to try my best to remind myself to teach you verses that Christians have used as weed whacker verses. Galatians 6 verse 7, 9 is a weed whacker verse. It, it, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Most weed whackers love this verse. You ever heard a weed whacker say this? You're doing something wrong, God will not be mocked. Remember some some old saints told me that when I was a kid. I was out there wilding, tripping. Don't don't make no mistake about it. God will not be mocked. And it was always in this negative context where if I was doing something bad, God will not be mocked. That is using the word of God, which is supposed to be a seed to produce wheat in your life. That's using the word of God as a weed whacker. No, that's not what it says. It says you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Here comes the part the weed whackers use. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up why did anyone not tell me that this verse does not mean be careful about doing bad things because god will not be mocked it's simply meaning that you make a mockery of god when you expect a different harvest than the seed you have sown so here's how you can make a mockery of god if you expect relationships and you've called no one, right, you didn't sow anything. So you expect everybody to call you? How many people do you, you reached out to? So you make a mockery of God. When you expect money, you've not given anything? On the other end of it, if you have sown generously, if you have sown hard work into something, you make a mockery of God when you don't believe God will come through for you when you've been doing the right things. You make a mockery of God with your unbelief. Because I've sowed in this. So sometimes 
You, you, you have sown, you've given, you've sown your time, you've sown your resources, you're generous, and then you come up in a situation where you feel like you need some finances and you don't believe God's going to do it. You make a mockery of God when you sow a good thing and expect a bad thing. That's what the verse means. It's not just I make a mockery when I sow a bad thing and expect a good thing. I make a mockery of God when I sow a good thing and expect a bad thing. The reason why I believe God for financial resources is not because I've been praying about it. Do you know I, I don't need to pray about money? I still, I, I would say that the, 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 the church definitely has like less giving this year than it did last year, but I, I, don't, I don't pray about money. You know why? Here's why. Because some of us use prayer to replace a principle. You don't ever use prayer to replace a principle. If there's a principle, don't pray. Do the principle. It says right here, if you sow, you will reap what you've sown. So I can't sow nothing and pray for a harvest. I can't use prayer to get out of a principle. Sometimes God doesn't say, if you need something, pray for it. It doesn't really say that. It says with every prayer and petition, but most of the time it says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say, don't seek the kingdom and then pray to God and God will give it to you anyway because he's awesome. No, seek first the kingdom, and you don't even have to worry about this stuff. The unbelievers worry about what they'll eat, what they'll wear. All you got to do is seek first the kingdom, which is God's way of doing things. Like, make sure he's not just your savior, but your king, and you'll be good. But when he's just your savior, when he forgives you of your sin, but you just, then you got to worry about yourself. You can't pray for fine, and you've sown nothing. So before, you, if you need money, ask yourself, what have I sown? So then now I have this faith on the inside of me because I believe this verse. I'm never going to not have money because I sow those things. We sowed into other churches in the pandemic. We sowed into people's families in the pandemic. We sowed into our prophets in the community. And because we're sowing, I understand that growing begins with sowing. It's guaranteed we're going to grow because of what I sow, because of what y'all have sowed. It's guaranteed. If you have sown nothing, and I'm talking about an increase why, you, you make a mockery of God when you believe for it, but you've sown nothing. You don't drive past a field and believe for corn. You drive past the field, you get your butt out of the car, and you put corn seed in the field. And then when you believe for corn seed, you are actually honoring God. But when you don't put an ounce of seed in the field and you believe God for corn, God's like, you're making a mockery of me. You don't need a miracle when you have seed. Wow. This is. I don't ever want to, listen, I don't ever, anybody believing for a miracle in their finances? Not me. I never want to believe for a miracle again. I got to have so much seed in the ground, I don't need a miracle, I just need it to rain. What God naturally does will bless my life. I don't need God to operate in the supernatural. It naturally rains. If I have plenty of seed in the ground, the rain comes, I'm good. So, so I, don't need, I don't need to not put any seed in the ground. Like once, once it rains, I'm blessed. And so it's getting ready to rain at Oasis, y'all. What do you got in the ground? What do you got in the ground? What do you got in the ground? I really believe that growing begins with sowing, but also it's important you understand in LA, we gotta sow our finances. This ain't this ain't Wichita. This ain't what's that? What's the town? Getting some like small town in Nebraska. This ain't Lane. Where you from? Chicago. Oh man, that don't count. <laughs> she said Shot Town. This ain't Ludlow, Ludlow, Texas. This ain't I don't know where you from. This ain't Billings, Montana. This is LA. You're gonna have to, you need a harvest to live in L.A. You don't need a job. You need a job in Wichita. You want to do something in L.A., you need a harvest. And some of y'all, our faith is so jacked up, we're believing for an ear of corn in L.A. No, we need a cornfield to be here. We need a cornfield to be here. So what I'm saying to you is, is that if you're going to live in L.A., if you're going to go into those spaces God has called you to, you have to have a harvest. And the only way you get a bigger harvest is more planting. Where have you sown your financial seed? I want to challenge you. 
that Oasis is good ground. We've been good ground for 37 years. Next year will be 38 years. If you have yet to sow any seed in the ground that is Oasis, when the harvest comes to Oasis, you got to have seed in the ground in the place you're expecting harvest. So if you come here, if you're watching for the first time, no pressure. But man, maybe start to sign up. Ask yourself, do I have any seed in this ground? Do I come to the church? Do I lead a connect group? Do I join a connect group? Do I give? And it's not that slimy pastor thing where it's like, I'm trying to get you to give. But the reality is you're probably expecting a harvest from this place. Get some seed in the ground. So that when God puts rain here, you don't need to believe for a miracle. No more praying for miracles when all we need is rain. No more doing that. Let's get some seed in the ground. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 10 through 12 says, For God is the, the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Don't eat your seed. God's going to give you both, bread and seed. And the seed is the plant. He's talking about finances. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a great harvest of generosity. The harvest that God is trying to produce in your life of finances is not comfort and stability. It is that you would be so generous, it would move you to instability, and then God would have to resource you again to make it stable again. In the kingdom, money's not a reservoir, it's a river. It's got to flow out for it to come in. And it says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Can you imagine if you just said, I, Lord, the biggest thing that I want to do in my life is to be generous. You got to give me enough money for me, the people around me, the strangers, the city. I need enough money for the city. When you need enough money for the city, you got some money. Would you, I feel like God is looking for kingdom venture capitalists, people who are in charge of his money. We're too busy trying to make money. I want to be in charge of God's money. And it says he's trying to enrich you so that you can be generous. Always. I never have to say no. Can you imagine the only way that I would have to say no is if God wanted me to say no? Hey, Pastor Julian, will you buy me a Ferrari? Lord, what do you think? Should I? That is freedom right there. Not, no, I ain't got it. You want me to do that? That's literally what it says. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Did you know giving is a ministry? The needs of believers in Jerusalem. Some of you, I just want to thank you right now. There's so much of an emphasis on serving and doing all this stuff, and I'm grateful for the people who serve. But giving is a ministry, and there have been people online watching right now that the only reason we can do church is because they've been giving for years. And I want to thank you so much for what you're doing, while also inviting other people to get some seed in the ground, because as we prophesy the rain, before I took over the church, it was prophesied that the rain would come to Oasis. And all I'm saying and challenging you is to get some seed in this holy ground that is the church you say you attend, so that when the rain comes, there will be a harvest in your life that will allow you to be generous. And if you don't feel like this ground is good, find some good ground and get some seed in it. Me and my wife commit to try our best to get not just tithe to the church, which tithing is 10% of our income. And we, we actually tithe to the church because it's the only verse in the Bible where it says, if we do the Lord of the heaven's armies. But here, God has a bunch of names, right. a bunch of names. And we love to talk about the Lord is our provider. No, but when he talked about tithing, he, did, he used his military name. Think about that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Not the provider. The Lord of the heaven's armies. Right. Like, I engage heaven's military when people trust me with 10%. So when the enemy comes to attack your finances, I call upon the military. Can you imagine if you were under attack personally? and you had the American military at your disposal. What he's saying is for those who tithe and sold their tithe in the house, they have the heavenly armies at their disposal when their finances are under attack. You don't have to pray. The armies of heaven come in if you do that by faith. Now, if you do it by pressure, it don't count. But if you do it by faith, it's no joke. We have got to sow this. And if you don't think Oasis is good ground, 
find some good ground. Yeah. Now, there are many people who listen to this that won't do anything. And you need to know that is okay. You do not have to give your money to the church or to anybody else. You don't, you don't have to. But if you don't, don't make a mockery of God by believing when the rain comes, you're supposed to have a crop. You don't have any seed in the ground. So don't count your money. Count your seed. When you count your money, you're in fear. When you count your seed, you're in faith. There are seasons where I've counted my money, and it ain't a lot. But when I counted my seed, I was like, it's going down. I've been giving. I've been believing. I've been, you know what I'm saying? It gives you this faith. The other thing we got to sow, and this is something I feel like our church is, is, for where we're at, we're rebuilding right now. I think our church is actually great at sowing money. I really do. I, I think that we're smaller probably than we were prior to the pandemic. I think some of us are newer to church and we got to get started on this journey right away, not because the church needs your money, but because you're believing for something that you don't have seed in the ground about. And then, but the second thing, this is the thing that I feel like is an emergency. We got to sow the word. Mm. We got to sow the word. We don't sow the word into our situations. Matter of fact, when we feel a certain way, we look for a person to understand how we feel more than a person to sow the word. Yeah. Like we want to feel heard. We want a safe place. No, I, I want a dangerous place to share. Dangerous meaning you're going to call me out. Like, I don't want to be safe. I want it to feel dangerous to have any thought that is not of the Lord. We want a dangerous space. May the church, may all of your friends be a dangerous space to have a thought that is not kingdom. When you, if you have a thought that's not kingdom, I'm praying for a dangerous place to share. There is no safe place to keep that thought. We need to sow the word. Some of us don't even have a scripture attached to anything in our life that we think. And so what I'm saying is we got to sow the word. Jesus told a parable about sowing something. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, it says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. God sows his word. So his word, if he compares his word to a seed, that means that if you're sowing the word and the word bears fruit and you're sowing finances and sowing finances bear fruit, you got a double portion. We have to really... Uh, again, you cannot have, you need a harvest in L.A., not a job. Can I say that again? To live in L.A., you need a harvest, not a job. And I'm teaching you scriptural principles about success. Listen to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is a man who, not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor seats, sits in the seat of scoffers. So we don't listen to people who do not honor God. We don't take our advice from them. So, so I don't care what you believe about certain things, even political, but if they're not quoting the word, don't adopt that. Don't do that. Don't stand in the way. Don't take the same path as sinners. There's a difference between the same, doing the same things and taking the same path. You see that? And nor sit in the seat of scoffers which people just be out here scoffing all over the place, which is just like a negative, just a negative outlook on people in life and God ain't doing this. Don't even sit where they sat. So if you see someone complaining and, and, and moaning about life, the Bible doesn't say don't do it. Don't even sit where they sat. Like just, just, just we need, I love that Bible word, by the way. We just need to start telling people, man, you just out here scoffing. Like just, just stop this is, I hope it catches fire. I'm like, man, just, did I just hear you scoff? you just out here. Just we just, people be out in these streets just scoffing and carrying on, man. Like, like we need a, you know how they say stop snitching movement? There was a stop snitching. We need a stop scoffing movement. Just stop scoffing. You scoff too much. Like, you just, you just tell your friend, like, yo, man, I think you scoffing. You know, they say no cap or like that's cap. That's scoff. It doesn't ring. It doesn't. It doesn't sound. It's not. It's not the same. Like it doesn't. Doesn't sound good. But don't even sit where someone. Don't sit in the seat. Don't get in a circle and sit down with a bunch of people who are complaining. And then it says, if they don't do that, but their delight is in the law, which you can easily translate word, the word of the Lord, and on his law, on his word, he thinks about that day and night, not about what they want, but about who God is. He is like a tree planted in, in its, planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. We have to sow the word because it says, this is, this is the, the, when the word is growing in your life, forget about, if you feel like there's a weed in your life about anxiety, sow a word about peace. I, anxious people don't even have peace verses memorized. Trying to get that word in your life. We gotta sow our finance, we gotta sow the word. And the third thing, we gotta sow our lives into the house of God. The house of God cannot be a place you visit, it has to be a place you're planted. And we, we, like, I remember Philip, uh, Pastor Philip, when I first came to church, he just said, give Oasis a year. And I remember being new to church. I'm like, that's so cheesy. <laughs> give Oasis a year. Like, why? Like, and I gave Oasis a year, and it turned into giving Oasis my life. And it's the best decision I ever made in my life. I met my wife from giving Oasis a year. I have kids because I gave Oasis a year. I have my calling because I gave Oasis a year. So I want to give you the same challenge. Like, give it a year. Like, do these things that we're talking about and believe God big, and I wonder if a year from now your life isn't better. That's all he promised, that your life would be better than it was without doing that. We got to sow our lives. Listen to this, another verse on success. Psalm 92, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. When you're planted in the house of God, you will flourish. Now, that Hebrew word for planted is not a seed that goes into a ground. It is actually, the word is transplanted. It describes the word where, where, where a gardener would gently uproot a plant, cleaning all the dirt from its roots and replanting it somewhere else. So that word means that you have to be unplanted in somewhere else to be planted in the house of God. Wow. And you will flourish because you did. So it's moving something to better soil. So sometimes it's not you. The soil is producing weeds. What is your soil? What environment is your soil? Your friendships are your soil. Your environments are your soil. Your thought process is your soil. Where you live, your roommates are your soil. Sometimes it's not you. It's just bad soil. And God wants to transplant you into community. And we need thousands of people signing up for connect groups. We need thousands. Why? Because God's trying to get you planted in the house of God. Here's the thing that we learn about growing together. And you have to understand this. If you are listening to me and you feel like you have sin and all these things that you really feel you want to uproot, I need you to have the proper mentality about sin. And then we're going to close. This is what I've learned in my life. Sin is designed. Excuse me. That's not what I want to say. I wrote this wrong. Sin is less about getting you to do something bad. It's more about sabotaging something good. So if you want to get rid of of something in your life. Sin is less about getting you to do something bad. It's more about sabotaging something good. So before you get rid of a bad thing in your life, I want to encourage you to discover the good thing the bad thing's trying to sabotage. So if you're bitter, don't get rid of bitterness. What is my bitterness trying to sabotage? If I'm offended, what is my offense trying to sabotage? If I'm constantly discouraged, what is my discouragement trying to sabotage? What is the good thing God is doing that this bad thing is trying to sabotage? Because the enemy is not omnipresent. God is, which means God is everywhere. So if the enemy is not omnipresent, then he originally has to sabotage by planting a seed. Then you water it with your thinking, your mentality, and your habits. And what the enemy planted, you have to self-sabotage. So the enemy makes you self-sabotage the things of God because he can't be everywhere at the same time. So all he can do is scatter seeds of fear scatter seeds of anxiety, scatter seeds of shame, and then they grow and then we water it by our habits, our friendships, our relationships, and not being planted and not doing these things. Sin is less about getting you to do something bad. It's more about sabotaging something good. How do we know? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is God's version of sin? Falling short of all glory is literally weight, the goodness of God that has weight. That's what it means. So sin is falling short of the goodness of God. So when you're having, you know, uh, you know, relationships with people that are not God's best, you're like, I'm falling short of the good things. It's not I'm doing a bad thing. I'm falling short of the good things. 
And here's what's crazy about it. As long as you're falling short when you're moving forward, they're both growing together and God will separate it like the verse says. If we understand this, we could really grow together. And so I want you to really take this in. We gotta start sowing the word in our situations. I, I hope you have someone who can listens to, listens to you and, and tells you um, uh, and listen to how you feel. But I also hope you have someone who says that is not the kingdom way of looking at that. So I hope you're sowing the word. I hope that you would uh, uh, find it within your heart and, and be confident in God enough to sow your finances in the place that you're expecting a harvest. And so um, whatever that is, if, if you, you're expecting a harvest of great friendships, man, buy a coffee for one of your friends. Like some of us never experienced an act of generosity from our friends because we're too busy all complaining about that we don't have enough money. Like let's get some heart, let's get some seed going. Let's let's get some things like this, you know, going in our lives. And, and, and we got to sow our lives. We got to stop visiting a place that we are called to be planted in. And I'm grateful if you're visiting online, but God's calling you to be planted. And so maybe one of the ways you can get planted is just come back. If you don't want to come back for health reasons, I get that. But if you want to come back for convenience reasons, I don't get it. If it's a 25-minute drive, get in your car and plant yourself in the house of God and, and begin to, to allow God uh, to do simple things like bring rain, which is what he naturally does, and to not believe for supernatural blessing because we have um, not done these beautiful principles of God. And if we do that, we're going to grow together as a church community. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you that you are awesome. And God, you are so good. If there's anybody right now that is thinking about the bad things in their life and is thinking about the sinful things in their life and they haven't even accepted Christ, I pray right now that you, they would do so right now in this, in this moment. Lord, you are so good. The Bible says that you found a treasure in a field and you bought the whole field. And the only good thing about that field was a small piece of treasure in the field and you wanted to own the whole field. And that just describes your love for humanity, that even if someone feels like they only have a little good thing going on in their life, they have a little wheat and all their life is filled with weeds, you still want them. You still die for them. You, you want them to belong to you because you love them so much. And so faith in Jesus is simply believing that as we repent and say, God, I don't, I don't want these weeds. I want to water the weed in my life. I want you to show me the sin in my life. And I want you by the power of your spirit to help me separate that sin from the good things in my life when it's time. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to believe that you came, you lived, you died, you were resurrected so I can have a life with you. And I do so by faith and repentance, saying, God, I changed my mind. I want to follow you. I want you to teach me your ways. I believe as people do this, it's really receiving Christ in their mouth. And so the word says um, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So I want to give you this opportunity to confess that right now, which means to announce out loud wherever you are. You can just close your eyes or if you're driving, you can just repeat after me. Father in heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And because of that, I am forgiven for all the things I've done and all the things I will do. And now I can become your field that you want to plant good things in. And bad things like weeds will come, but you will put me around people who will water the good thing and you'll separate it all when it's time. I want to follow you. I believe in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all so much. Y'all a bunch of savages filled with faith. You're amazing. Don't be out there scoffing. No cap, no scoff. It's going to take off. No scoff. You think it's going to take off? Yeah, nobody in here believes it. No scoff, no scoffing up in these streets. Love you so much. And I'll see you soon.